Welcome to the Drop-In CEO Podcast. I'm Deb Coviello, and as the Drop-In CEO, I drop into businesses and assume the CEO role to mitigate crises and help teams get back on track. This podcast is about helping the C-suite leader to navigate challenges with confidence. For today's leader, I'm here to help you get back on track. Tomorrow's leader, let me partner with you to learn the secrets of the C-suite. Wherever you're at in your career, this is the podcast for you. Hello, I am Deb Coviello, founder of the Drop-In CEO, and I want to thank you for joining us on another episode of the podcast where week after week, I get to speak to amazing leaders who share their insights and hopefully inspire you. And you know me, I am here to help the C-suite leader of today and tomorrow navigate challenges with confidence. And I'm going to ask you one quick ask before we get started here. If you find this episode valuable, please share it with at least one person so we can elevate everybody in our network. And today I am so excited to introduce to you my guest, Joseph Frankie III. Joe is a West Point graduate who's had a full career in the U.S. Army as a warfighter and logistician for 30 years. He commanded at all levels from platoon through installation. And post-military, he used his logistics skills to work on infrastructure projects in the U.S. and internationally. And currently, as an author, coach, and search consultant, he advises executives, veterans, and students. And most often, he helps them better merchandise themselves by helping them build a LinkedIn bridge from where they are now to where they want to go. And he claims over 40 years of leading multifunctional teams worldwide in engineering, logistics, life science, et cetera. And he is also co-author, and we're going to go here, co-author of LinkedIn, the five-minute drill for executive networking success. And he lives in Houston, Texas with his wife, Karen. I can't wait for this conversation. Joe, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks for having me, Deb. It's, It's a pleasure to be here. So... A little bit to my network, my listeners, I am so grateful for the network that Joe said yes, because I was searching for CEOs, senior leaders, presidents, founders, and I just wanted to get to know them and see if they had a compelling story. And I remember distinctly, I was out walking my dog, Gabby, Joe and I are connecting. I said, oh my, he has just an amazing career and also just really, really purposeful work for which I know there are many insights that you, my listeners, are going to really appreciate. So Joe, I'm going to ask you just a quick question before I give you the stage on your career journey, but how on earth did you get the badge of being a top mentoring voice on LinkedIn? What's the secret sauce? Because I'd like to get that as well. (laughs) The secret sauce, I guess, is to make comments on various articles on mentoring. And I guess people like what I have to say. (laughs) And uh, that's the the key. One, you got to be active out there. And two, when I comment, I try to comment on things that where I can add to it other than just say, okay, I like this. It's that engagement. And I sincerely appreciate this. And I can't wait to get all your wisdom out there. But you've obviously inspired me. I have seen that thing lately where here's an article. Please comment on it. Add your thought leadership. I did it once. I did it twice. I might do it a little bit more because I'd like to see myself as a mentor to others. So thank you so much for that insight. But you're a remarkable person with all that you have done and what you are doing now. So I'd love for you to take a few minutes and get acquainted with my audience and share a little bit about your career journey and the work that you are doing now. Well, it's uh, interesting from where we all come from. So I grew up in the lower Rio Grande Valley down in South Texas. 
and uh, lived in a little town 10 miles north of the Mexican border. It was a very unique lifestyle. Our family had family businesses. My parent, grandparents and eventually my parents had a family restaurant. My aunt and uncle had a service station and we did agriculture. We raised race horses and harvested sorghum, you know. So had all of that kind of multifunctional experience. And I just thought every kid kind of grew up that way. Uh, you know, I could run the cash register at the service station and at the, the restaurant when I was in the fifth grade. You know, so you understood how to make change, all that, that kind of stuff. So uh, one of the things I learned from the restaurant business is, you know, we took a half day off at Christmas, whether we needed to or not. And so when I had the opportunity, I graduated from high school. A month later, I was in the Army, four years at the military academy, and then 30 years on active duty. And so I came out of active duty, you know, basically 52 years old. And, you know, I'm trying to pierce the corporate veil. And it was a really big awakening because, you know, they don't need, uh, you know, executives with three master's degrees that are 15, 52 years old that haven't been in the in the private sector. And I didn't want to go back into the military industrial complex. This was back before LinkedIn. So you were getting your stuff in out of the newspaper. You know, that's back when the Houston uh, newspapers had maybe nine pages of classified ads and you look for the executive stuff, you know, and you, you went around pounding on doors trying to give somebody your resume. And so what I learned was from the school of hard knocks, really knocking on doors and not getting anywhere. Finally, somebody said, Joe, look, you know, you've got this multifunctional experience and why don't you go find some some guys and or gals putting uh, something together and get in, you know, on the ground floor because you got all these skills, you got the sweat equity, you can, you know, build up. And, and that's what I uh, did. And so I uh, ended up working on projects in China to do wastewater treatment infrastructure and those kind of things. And uh, in the deal world, you find out right away, it really is the school of hard, hard knocks. You know, you work on about eight or nine deals and only one of them ever comes to fruition, it seems, because it, it takes a lot of effort to do that. So in the process of all this, you know, LinkedIn was in its infancy when I got out of the Army in 2004. And uh, a lady recommended, say, Joe, you're transitioning. You ought to try this thing called LinkedIn. So I did that. And in the first six months, I didn't do anything with it because I thought it was going to steal my identity. <laughs> this was after the dot-com debacle, you know, in 2000s, right? Yes. So it's 2004. And, you know, as an Army person, you think operational security you know, nobody should have this or that, you know, uh, and be very careful. So once I kind of got over that and through that, I started using the tool. And then I found out, wow, I'm looking for people that have worked in China. And this tool, I mean, I can get on here and find people that say they've got some experience in China. And before LinkedIn, you kind of had to turn that over to a search agency that had, you know, 50,000 resumes, and they kind of look for you and you paid for that access so i was able to find people i needed and so then i just kind of became an expert and grew with linkedin you know as it developed and basically 
started coaching on how to use LinkedIn in 2005. So really tried to help the military people because when they come out of the service, they're like being reborn into a, a whole new world because they don't even speak the same language. And so part of that was helping them with, on LinkedIn take what they did in the service and put it in a hiring manager's vernacular. So did that. And as I progressed through and did other different things, and I'm teeing this up to kind of how where I got to today. So a friend of mine said, hey, Joe, this big search firm wants to put a office in Houston. Hey, why don't you do the engineering part? I'll do the oil and gas part, you know. And I said, yeah, that sounds like interesting. And it was a big top 2% firm. So, I mean, we got the training on how to do it, their way of doing things, you know, their systems, their databases, all, all of that. And what I learned once I became a uh, search executive was then you have people contact you like I was way back when, <laughs> you know, they need help. So they were job seekers. And so what I would do is, okay, hey, let me help you with this resume. Let me help you with your LinkedIn profile. Because uh, what I noticed was the reason they weren't getting anywhere was their, either their resume wasn't together or especially their LinkedIn profile wasn't. And so as I did that, the firm doesn't want you, didn't want you to spend time talking to job seekers because you need to be go finding clients, right? Yes, exactly. I know. So then I started saying, okay, I can't help you now, but call me at home. And then what happened was uh, people I helped got interviews. And so the next thing I happened was five o'clock in the morning, all the way to 11 o'clock at midnight, people call me, hey, you help Joe, you know, can you help me, you know, uh, all that kind of stuff. And my wife said, hey, Joe, either make a business out of this or go back to your job because this isn't working. <laughs> I said, why do you think? Uh, this would be a good business. And she says, Joe, I'm listening to you talk to these people and you sound like you're developing officers in the army. And so what happened was a blinding flash of the obvious and that was, okay, what I've done for over 40 years is career develop people, you know, because that's all you do in the army. You help your subordinates, you give them the projects needed to build out their resume, get them to their next school, get them to their next promotion. You know, that's how you, you you develop people. Well, what I saw in the civil sector was I knew that the military didn't know how to do the LinkedIn thing. But what I found was a lot of executives underrepresented, I call it under-merchandised themselves. In other words, they're great at making money. They're great at running a company, but they don't know how to sell themselves to their next opportunity. And the challenge with that is the top 15%, 10% of like all CEOs, they get taken care of because they're at the upper thing. They have social media people in their companies. They have all that stuff. But for the rest of us, you know, yeah, you know, uh, down here, well, I mean, you know, you're doing a lot of this yourself. And so uh, that's how I ended up basically in the branding business and saying, hey, if you know where you're at, and you know where you want to go, then there's a way to build a LinkedIn bridge to get you there. And in some cases, that LinkedIn bridge might say you need an extra two years of college. 
if that's what you really want to do, here's your path. You know, now you can skip that, but nobody's ever going to call you. Because I'm in this business and when we want this kind of person, we're looking for this. So if you don't have it, you're at the back of the bus and just be comfortable being at the back of the bus. You know, and nobody wants to be at the back of the bus. So I would love to respond to some of your things you said. I've already filled up a page of notes here because I've got ding, ding, ding. I want to go here. I want to go there because there's so many important things that you said. But first of all, thank you. And I'm going to just say, I acknowledge your military service, but thank you for your military service. And thank you for this service you are providing to people. Love it. Under merchandising themselves because you and I, this is why I wanted to bring you on to the show is the fact that I too have people that come across my path. Somebody refers them to me. I happen to meet them at a networking event. They start telling me a little bit about their backstory. And then I'm saying, oh my, oh my, I see things about them that they don't realize are of value. They, undervalue who they are they un- and then th- then they don't even know how to merchandise what they have a resume is just a bunch of words and by the way you need to put the right words on there in the right way so you get into the yes pile versus the no pile but then people just don't understand their value i'm just going to go what to you what you just said that you had that flash of lightning or your wife said you better make this a business or else was the fact that you are in the business of developing people And people need to step back when they look at their value. Yes, I've been in logistics. Yes, I've been in supply chain. Yes, I've been a teacher, yada, yada, yada. But you need to look at those skills, those skills, your superpowers, and be able to market them and have them jump out of the LinkedIn profile or your resume. That's where you can provide the most value versus I can do A, I can do B, I can do C. And so that's why I really, really value your insights on how to get the most out of people out there because they're undervaluing themselves and they just can't be seen. They're just not communicating in a way that they will get those jobs and that the ones they're going to love. So I love your work that you're doing. <laughs> yeah, I tell people, I said, look, at the executive level, I mean, we're looking for people that can solve problems. Because if we just need skills, then we can get a cheaper version of you, you know, at 30. But, you know, once you're up there around 40, we're looking for people that can get into a group of people and get them all, you know, headed north, you know, and take care of the conflict and the interaction and, you know, get it done. And I see people all the time that, you know, have been very successful individually, and now they're put in a setting, right, where they've got to you know, get two or three other people to do something. And you just can't believe what happens. <laughs> you know, if you haven't had the training, somebody kind of lay it out for you. And it just boggles the mind that anybody would, you know, do those <laughs> things. But, uh, you know, the the truth is funnier than fiction. I'd love to go back, though, to the military sector, because I do appreciate that. One of my older previous companies, we would hire a lot of people from the military because they recognize the leadership that they bring, the organizational structure. So they were perfect for bringing into an organization such as a production manager, plant manager. They were just great leaders and organizers. But I'm just curious, you say that, you know, they don't even speak the vernacular, but what what does that transition look like? Do they 
undervalue what they can actually do. They just don't know how to speak the the language of business. Help me to understand for anybody out there that is coming out of the military, what are some of those pitfalls or bridges that you help them build to speak the language of business and get the jobs that they want? A lot of it is, okay, you're applying for a job. So if you're applying for a job, that means you've seen a job description, right? Or a position specification. So on that job description, you know, it's your mission to explain how you have done the things on the job description. But if you explain that in military terms that the hiring manager doesn't know, then, okay, I've looked at that. I don't know what it says. Let me put you over here in the wait a minute pile. And we, as we all know, we never get back to the wait a minute pile. You, you just go with the, the pile that, you know, of all the people that you're going to take uh, a little further. And it really is challenging because you just really don't know kind of how to do that. And it, it just helps if you can talk to people that have made the transition and they don't have to be an expert or anything else, but they've made the transition. They were former military because everybody seems to have to. I even had to go through that hoop. You know, the darkest days in my life were transitioning out of the military because you think, okay, you've sacrificed all this time, you know, getting as much education as you could, you know, getting as much experience as you could. And then all of a sudden, you can't make anybody understand it or. Uh, the thing I found about the civilian world, you threaten people. I said, look, mm. I said, I'm interviewing for a project manager position. Well, Joe, I says, you could sue me for having this conversation for you, but we're not going to hire you. And I said, well, why is that? And I said, man, I can run a project. I can put a crew together. I know how to count for stuff. And he says, Joe, you've handled more money than the CEO. You've handled bigger programs than the CEO. You could take my job tomorrow. So we're not going to hire you. That is a big, big problem. So when we talk about military, they come from a particular sector that has a particular language and way of working, but they provide value. I propose that if somebody is coming from, say, oil and gas, but there may be a quality or an operations person, they had a set of skills that are potentially transferable. Could you just give me maybe an example so I can bring it home to folks here? Because anybody that's listening right now that's maybe struggling to get that next role, it may be in the way that you're articulating your value versus, you know, using the jargon of the industry, maybe you need to learn how to translate it into another language. So what might be an example of what you've seen? I'll give you a real life example. Thank you. Yeah. (laughs) I uh, sent over a, a young officer and the best way to to transition is, you know, the those of us that spent the most time have the hardest difficulty. Ones that spend the shortest amount of time in the military have the easiest transition because you're closer, you know, they can take advantage that you've had more responsibility, you know, you're mature. The Army and Armed Forces is into outside work. <laughs> you know, you've been there, you've done that. You know, it's not like you're scared of uh, the outside. But so I sent over um this uh, young officer, infantry officer, uh, sharp as attack, you know, and they needed, uh, you know, a junior level health, uh, safety and environmental guy, you know. And so I looked at the position spec and, you know, and I said, this, this would be good. And so he went over and, and, you know, they had a good kind of time together. And the guy called me back and says, Joe, I mean, you know, 
I mean, this really is a good, sharp young man, but I don't know how we could use him in health, safety, and environmental. And I said, well, why is that? And he said, well, he doesn't have any health, safety, and environmental you know, experience. I said, well, I said, let me explain to you. The military embeds health, safety, and environmental in everything you do. If you go through a mess line with a mess kit, there's a way to sterilize the mess kit. There's a way, to, you know, I'm going way back now, yes. you know, but I mean, there was a whole process of when you finished your meal, it got dipped in this hot soapy water, then it got rinsed in this hot. So in other words, to eat a meal in the military years ago with a mess kit, there was a complete health, safety and environmental thing culturally embedded in the fact that you were going to eat a meal. So I said, you look at safety as bolt-on things. You send them to this school, it's OSHA this, and it's OSHA that, and all that stuff. The military has embedded into this individual everything from a health, safety, environmental. He said, well, what experience does he have? I said, he was an infantry officer. He had an infantry platoon. So that's 40 people. That's 20 18-year-olds with automatic weapons and explosives. So the first thing he's got to do is train them how to use automatic weapons and how to use explosives, then use automatic weapons and explosives with two people, then use it with four people, and then use it as, as a team, and then as a platoon. So if you can imagine so many teenagers, the first thing you got to do is keep them from hurting themselves. And then you got to make them proficient at hurting the enemy. But my point is, he understands, he sees health, safety, all that stuff. I says, you can take him out to a rig. He might not know anything about a rig, but he can see things that, you know, he's been trained to be situationally aware. And whatever you specifically, technically you want to train him on is fine. But I mean, he's he's ready to go now. And once I explained that, you know, then he was willing to go to the next step and, you know, let's let's give him a shot. So what's really interesting about what I'm hearing you say, so obviously you can help somebody in the military set their LinkedIn profile resume such that it represents their value and teach them how to speak the language of business. But have you spent any time educating recruiters in the DNA of a serviceman? to understand that it's not just the technical things that you're looking for, but the immense value when you talked about the culture. There are things that just come with <laughs> free because of their DNA. I mean, is that something that you, have you ever thought of doing, educating the recruiting industry on how <laughs> to leverage such massive skills from this workforce? I'm just curious because you just told me you spent time educating them and understanding. <laughs> yeah. So people have called me and, you know, with, hey, I'm working with this guy, Joe, or I'm working with this young lady. She says this, you know, and I've uh, I've done that individually. But you're right. I haven't put a group of recruiters uh, together. And, you know, and this would be a good format, you know, where what problems do you have and what is it you don't understand? And when you make the explanation, I'm sure the other 50 percent will say, OK, I didn't understand that either. You know, I mean, now I know. 
Yeah, it was just a thought because you're spending so much time trying to educate business and industry on the value that comes with, in addition to trying to coach individuals to express their value in the language of business. It's just a thought that came to me because I recognize the value. My husband was in the military. My son, David, was one of those (laughs) 17, 18-year-olds in infantry in Fort Benning, and he has had to learn immense safety and risk associated with having that responsibility. He has a great appreciation for it, and you even see it come in his persona, you know, thinking about safety, thinking about risk, always planning and controlling. You, You become a project manager. You become a safety officer, regardless of the pursuit in the military. So I think more people need to recognize and appreciate that demographic and all the value that they can bring. Well, they certainly, uh, when you figure somebody that's been in the military and they did a stint, you know, two to six years or whatever, and one, you know, they'll earn a certain amount of the GI Bill depending on what their commitment was. So, I mean, they're going to get further, they have access to further education. But, you know, they've already been through a background check. If they've got an honorable discharge, they probably held, uh, you know, some level of security check. So, I mean, all of those things, uh, to me, um, you know, the government and the military invested in these people to make sure, you know, they knew who they were, you know. And to me, that's just a a value that's intrinsic. You know, I don't think people have ever value that but if you want to do a background check on somebody it's not free (laughs) i wanted to take a moment to remind you that a recent study showed nearly 60 percent of leaders feel depleted at the end of the day and this feeling is a key indicator of burnout and makes it difficult to lead and inspire others if you've ever experienced that restless exhaustion you know why ceos are amongst the most likely candidates they're experiencing job frustration. I wrote the CEO's Compass, your guide to get back on track, to confront those feelings and create a plan that is sustainable for you and your organization. I created a seven-point assessment that will help you figure out your problems in days, not months. And it includes so many resources, worksheets, videos, and much, much more. If this is you, please head over to my website, dropinceo.com and click on my products, the CEO's Compass, and order yours on Amazon or other outlets. And now, back to the conversation. So I want to take this in another direction, because again, I know I went a little bit sideways here in just understanding, bringing the military persona and value into industry and coaching those individuals such they can make that bridge to where they want to go. And I love what you have on your LinkedIn profile, build a bridge from where you are now to where you want to go. And I see that all the time. So many people just seek jobs for what they already have done versus looking into the future. So I really appreciate your tagline on your LinkedIn profile. But I would love to elevate your book, LinkedIn, The Five-Minute Drill for Executive Networking Success. Tell me a little bit more of why you wrote that book and how it is in service to people, because I want people to look into it and pick up a copy. First of all, the the most important thing about the book is it's a one-hour read. I'm all in. (laughs) (laughs) And the hardest thing I've ever done in my life is write a one-hour book with a co-author. And my co-author is Lori Ruff. And she is uh, another good thought leader on uh, LinkedIn. And so you kind of get the military engineer mindset from me and you get the 
kind of emotional women perspective from her, it was tough to write a book, you know, together. <laughs> and uh, that's okay. I, that's what made it a really, uh, really good book. But our goal was we wanted you, uh, an executive to be able to pick it up on a one-hour plane flight, read it, and be done with actionable stuff that they wanted to do. And the biggest challenge I've heard executives, I said, well, you know, you can do this on LinkedIn. Joe, I don't have time for that. I said, okay, no problem. I said, what about your social media department? What's that? (laughs) You know, the big guys and gals don't have to worry about that because they they got a crew, right? Absolutely. But all of us (laughs) in the rest of the world, you know, uh, we kind of end up having to do that myself. And so, I said, here's a way, you know, devote five minutes and be present. Nobody's saying you have to live there, but you know, you if you show presence there, then you know you're the you're, you're the flagstaff of the company. You know, do you want your profile to look not well? I mean, look, if you search a company, you're going to get all the employees right, and they usually list the CEO up front. I said. You know, you don't want to look like a dirtbag when the rest of your crew looks like, you know, they came in a suit and tie. And he said, well, you know, what do I need to do in there? So I gave him a checklist. And so by page five, you're you're in a checklist of exactly what you need to do. So the most frequent comment is, Joe, I did this and it took me 15 minutes. And I said, you didn't follow the checklist. <laughs> I said, okay. I don't want you to think here. I want you to do it. That's why we gave you a checklist. And I said, try it for two weeks, follow the checklist. And he came back and he said, Joe, I take everything back. I said, I couldn't do anything other than what was on this checklist. I said, but remember, you told me that you want to spend a minimum amount of time in here. So this is a way to do it. Nobody says you can't do this three times a day if you want to. But the goal was, here's how to be present, you know, five minutes a day. You know, What I really like about this, and this is something I have seen prevalent in so few senior leaders and organizations who happen to have a massive department, as you said, of marketing associates, is that you know, that you hear the people say that people don't buy products or, or brand. They, they want to build trust with the brand. And so often I have seen presidents and leaders of companies repost the marketing materials that they put in front of it. Here, we've got this new launch. Here, we've got the greatest flavor here. There is no thought leadership. There is no presence. There is no additional input from that leader. And I'm saying this is such a missed opportunity because we want to get to know those leaders because at good times, yeah, you're hopefully making the same. But what if there happens to be a crisis? We want to already know and and have trust with those leaders because they've been present. They've been supporting society. They've been showing how their products impact and help people. And if all of a sudden you start showing up when there's a crisis, you, you shouldn't be doing that. You should be constantly present because we want to build trust with your brand. And if there's an oops, we might forgive you because you've been putting out positive impact all along. So I, I wonder why so many senior leaders don't do that, but I think most of them should be getting your checklist and being more present. It's an important part of their job. You're right. I mean, as a senior leader, if you if you don't want to, uh, I mean, if you have a marketing department, that's what they need to be doing, using social media, all of the, but, uh, you know, on LinkedIn as a senior leader, you ought to be given the attaboys and the girls for uh, 
people that, you know, do great things, you know, both inside the company as well as, you know, outside the company. So I would love to just talk about somebody. This is your life. You've heard about that show. I don't think I've actually seen that program. This is your life, but this is where we bring back people from your past. But there's a particular person that uh, recently left a testimony on your LinkedIn profile. And I will just remind people, seek recommendations on LinkedIn. They are important. But this particular person, Lee, said that, you know, my conversations and coaching from Joe have made a difference in my confidence to be visible on LinkedIn because I have an understanding of how to best use LinkedIn to grow my business. Joe has had a wonderful, positive effect on my life and business. Thank you, Joe. So tell me a little bit more about this person that maybe you worked with, or maybe they took some of your input. Let me help me to understand where were they at and where did you bring them to? Because they were seemed to be very grateful for any time or any content that you shared with them. Well, I think the biggest challenge uh, I get, uh, and you probably do too, you have companies calling you and say, hey, you know, we help coaches. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I've had a number of um, call and say, Joe, we want to take everything that, you know, you do and we're going to put it out there and we're going to make this and we're going to make that. And, you know, the people just swipe a card for 15 minutes of this and 15 minutes of that. And I said, well, that's all well and good, but I mean, you know, who's done that? And then they give you a list of 50 coaches. And, and I said, I, I don't know how that could be done because I have coached 713 people to date professionally mm-hmm. and i've never coached the same way twice and they said well how is that because all these people have they might have training i understand that but you know i work with individuals and i start with what the individual says where am i at okay what is it you want to do where is it you want to go what do you want to achieve and with some people i mean that's another converse, two or three conversations because they're not really sure what they want to do. But anyway, you, you need a, a target out there. And then we can work with building all of the instruments based on their past, you know, present and past, use LinkedIn to its full capacity to get that out there. What most people are on LinkedIn is it's kind of like the Wall Street Journal. I, I I envision somebody asked me, well, what's LinkedIn like? I said, it's like the Wall Street Journal. I said, but the problem is most people use just above the fold on the front page. Mm. And I said, there's below the fold on the front page. There's pages two through 13. There's an op-ed section. There's a finance section, all that kind of stuff. I said, but most people just use it in the front page because they kind of look at it like a resume. Here's that right so what you can do is you have the front page but the wall street journal says if you want to know more about this go to page three if you want to know more about that and so linkedin gives you all the organs to do that with with projects publications honors and awards you know patents um, all of these things where you can put the proper content like who what when where why and what the metrics were and people choose not to use that and part of what i go through with them is you know what is your story how did you solve that problem and just like when you're talking to somebody they say hey i was really proud about 
doing this, but you're thinking, well, okay, I'll look at their LinkedIn profile later, but I don't ever see that story anywhere. You know, so LinkedIn gives you the framework to hang that content. And people say, well, I don't want to put it out there. And I've had that come up where we worked on all this content. We got it out there. I said, look, it's your choice. I, I'm not the one populating your profile. You are. He said, well, Joe, I don't, I'm not going to put that out there. I said, okay, let's take everything you've worked on. Let's mark it in a file. And he said, well, why do I need to put it in a file? I said, market obituary. So that when you pass away, then we can really use this stuff. Because you don't want to use it now to get your next opportunity. You might as well have the good stuff said later. And he said, Joe, I never thought about it that way. And I said, well, do you want to use it now or later? It's kind of like the Fram Oil <laughs> Filter Commission. Are you going to pay me now or, or later? I said, you know, let's let it work for you up front. You know, this conversation actually... You know, I, we, we have these interviews for my listeners again. Listeners, I'm just asking you just to bear with me a little bit right now. But you inspire me because I, too, I don't know if people really realize that, that later down, if you go down the LinkedIn structure, there is a place to put all those bells and whistles, all your awards and honors and publications and projects, et cetera. And I used to do that. And I think I stopped about a year and a half ago. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, I have published so much content in magazines and other things. I need to go back in there and showcase my stuff. Because again, I don't want to be dead before people realize, oh, did Deb did all of this stuff. So first of all, thank you, because you just reminded me to go back to my profile, because I think people are just too humble. They don't want to be too showy. We need to put it all out there because people are watching. And if you really want to get that next interview, make sure you add all of those things below the fold or on page three. Right. In other words, as Dizzy Dean, my father used to quote Dizzy Dean, he says, you know, it ain't bragging if you done it. Okay, so let's go there a little bit because I was going to wrap up this interview here, but let's go there. What do you do with the person that's like, ah, you know, I don't want to be too showy. I don't want to brag. How do you change their mindset to say you need to do some bragging? How do you switch that? Uh, well, a lot of times I'll go and say, uh, who's the person that, you know, got the last job you wanted? And I said, we'll go look at their profile. <laughs> and I said, I'm looking at your profile. I'm looking at her profile. And if I had a choice, I don't pick you, I pick her. And I'm in the business. And I said, she, this other person, understood that, you know, HR departments and and recruiters are the laziest people on the absolute planet. So if you do not put yourself in a beautiful little box, get yourself organized, put the best wrapping paper on it, get the best ribbon, you know, then the people that do that, you know, they go to the front of the line. So I always say, if you're comfortable staying at the back of the bus, it's okay. I love your way. <laughs> you're kind, but you really make your point and help people realize they need to do things differently. Otherwise, they're not going to get the jobs that they want and have those purposeful careers. This is amazing. <laughs> 
If I'm just going to ask you one last question, and then I'm going to give you the stage one last time. So I want people to get the book. Again, listen, this is going to be in the show notes, linked in the five-minute drill for executive networking success. Again, it's for anybody, regardless of where they're at, if you need to do something differently to get a different result. But if there was maybe one or two tips or things that if people are just not leveraging the power of LinkedIn, what might that be that you want to share with my audience? I think the key is we want to know uh, what you did, where you were at. I could care less about your responsibilities. They don't tell me anything. So if you were at XYZ Company, what did you do while you were there? Or you were at uh, Smith and Brown College. So all you have is BS marketing. So all that tells me is you went to Smith Brown, they exchanged money, and you got this thing called BS. Okay. So gotcha. in the college, you can talk about a thousand character description. What did you do there? What motivated you to have that marketing thing? Um, I've made more money off my high school entry on LinkedIn than any other entry. And people will say, why does somebody call you about high school? I said, because the person I'm talking to, the conversation starts like this. Joe, I was offensive center. I did UIL poetry competition. I got my pilot's license in high school. You know, I got my scuba diving certificate, you know. So in other words, that tells me they're reading it. So that was their icebreaker to open up a conversation in a note or a phone call. You know, and some things led to relationships and and, and business. But, you know, the biggest one was, uh, I said, why did you call me? He said, well, you went to Boy State. And the only place that's on there is in the high school <laughs> entry. And I said, what, what, what motivated you about that? And he said, well, you know, I always thought that was the best grouping of people, you know, I ever experienced was all of this same people. And so now I'm looking for a, a Boy State guy to solve my problem. So it's what you did and the impact you made, not just the listing of your responsibilities, because then you sound like everybody else, yada, 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 and there's no differentiation. They need to know who you are, right. where you've been. Quantified metrics is key. And I look for that as well. So this has been an amazing interview. You know, what was so rewarding for me, first of all, just to meet a find accomplished person that totally wants to help the next generation leader, military executive be seen and get the jobs that they want, the promotions that they're seeking, because to your point, we just don't know how to show up. We know how to put together a list of bullets of like, here's what we what we did, but just not necessarily, and I love this expression, merchandising ourselves to create value. I'm going to give you the stage one more time before we bring this to close, but just everybody out there listening, Joseph Frankie the Third, please look him up, top mentoring voice. He's written the book, The Five-Minute Drill for Executive Networking Success. Please check it out. But Joe, I just offer you the stage one last time before we bring it to a close. Uh, your best billboard to the world is your LinkedIn profile, you know, and your LinkedIn profile differs from a resume that you write. A LinkedIn profile is an oil portrait of you. We can see the pitch. We can see the color. We can see the way or the hue, everything. When you take a resume, 
It should always be a subset of your LinkedIn profile, but it's a black and white snapshot and only carries your intellectual capability, 98%. You can sell all of your emotional intelligence on a LinkedIn profile. And at the end of the day, if you're a leader, what you're selling is your emotional intelligence to get other people to do things. That's part of the interview. I can't top that. Joseph Frankie the third. Thank you so much for dropping in on the Drop In CEO podcast. It is a pleasure to know you, and I do wish you continued success helping so many people. And I do wish you well. Yeah, this was a lot of fun. You're a great host, and I'm glad we had such a fun time today. Thank you for listening to the Drop In CEO podcast. I hope you are inspired by our conversation and can apply what you heard to your business or career goals. If you found this valuable, please share this show with at least one friend who will find it useful and inspiring. When you share this podcast, it allows me to continue to help C-suite leaders of today and tomorrow to navigate their challenges with confidence. To connect with me or learn more about the Drop-In CEO services, go to my website at dropinceo.com. And until we meet, I wish you well and much success.